Yo, what's good? What's good? What's good? It's Shot Callers back in the building. Uh, I hope everyone is doing well this evening. Uh, we've got special guest Mark Schindler from Indy Cornrows and Premium Hoops. Mark, how are you doing? I'm good, Ben. How are you doing, man? Doing wonderful, man. Uh, let's get some introductions. The up and comer. The, the up and comer <laughs> with us tonight. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Indy Cornrows, of course, is the the Pacers podcast. Uh, on SB Nation, and uh, Mark uh, does that. Um, but first, let's get to uh, my co-host, uh, Joshua Odellis, Farellis, Montellis, Overzealous, Hayes. What's good, my brother? Hey, how we doing, everybody? Um, excuse me while I have on a Pittsburgh Steelers hat tonight while we're discussing <laughs> NBA. But, uh, there's a pretty decent football game on tonight, so I was representing earlier in the day, and I had yeah. to into to this so uh, i didn't have time to take it off and put something else on so we're gonna rock with it <laughs> that's funny i yeah. gotta say man i've never uh the the greatest sports experience i've ever been to i'm not even a steelers fan i grew up in cleveland um i went to uh i think it was afc title game um or no and i i can't remember i'm not a big football person so i remember but it was a uh, steelers ravens like 2013 and that's the most black and gold i've ever seen anywhere i was in downtown pittsburgh it was nuts man like those Steelers fans are crazy, so in a good way. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, are. no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Also, uh, in the building is producer Tim. Producer Tim, how's it going this evening, brother? It is fantastic. It is wonderful. It is. We got we got the up and comer with us tonight. Mark Schindler in the building. Appreciate Mark's been it. on our show. We've loved we loved having Mark on. Mark and I are working through this grind of the NBA together, so we uh, we, we we interact quite a bit. So I like always I like having him come on. So yeah, yeah absolutely, even absolutely. Though, even though he bad talked Skyline Chili one time, we gotta we gotta get that. <laughs> okay, I, I always Skyline Chili is garbage. All right, <laughs> there's there's nothing good about it. Sorry, man. Hey, we won't hold that against you. You know what I mean? But uh, Mark, uh, like I've said before, does. Uh, any cornrows and he's also does premiumhoops.org. Um, Mark, man, just, just to get into it a little bit. Uh, I'm a Pacers guy. Uh, you're a Pacers guy. We've had some interesting uh, conversations on Twitter, just talking about uh, our Pacers uh, and their minutes uh, played by some of their stars. Um, actually, you know, definitely with stars like Bro Brogdon, who's had injury issues and, um, Sabonis, who's coming off an injury, Old Depot, who's coming off injury. Um, where is the fix in this, man? Because I know that we both – and you wrote an article on it um, about their minutes played. And, and what's the solution? Where How do we get um, to where we can get, try to use some of these guys that we have sitting on a bench like our summoners and, and, and some of these other guys that we have? How do we get those guys into transitioning and giving these guys a little bit more breaks uh, so that they'll last throughout the season? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question, man. I uh, So it's funny because Nate Bjorken's been asked about this a couple times now in, in post-game pressers, and I've, I've written on it. I've talked about it on the pod. You know, every, every night I pretty much just keep a minutes log. I mean, Sabonis had already played 30 minutes by the end of the third quarter yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, Brogdon finished with 40 minutes again last night. Uh, and it's not even – I think the biggest thing for me right away, I always clap back at this with people. It's not about, like, some macho mentality or whatever. There's just – Playing 40 minutes is not great for your body or on-court production. I mean, we saw guys in the 90s and early 2000s who really broke down playing that load. Like Glenn Rice played like – he had a year where he played like 42 minutes for 82 games straight and was never the same after it. Jamal Mashburn uh, had like the best year of his career, but he played 40 minutes a night. And it's not all directly correlated, but it's, it's not a positive. Um, but in terms of last night in general – uh, I mean, we saw an entire bench unit get run that we hadn't seen the entire year and they did really well, but they got pulled within two minutes. Mm -hmm. um, and the, I mean, the, the starters, when they came back weren't completely gassed and that was a large part of the game slipping away. Yep. Uh, so I think I'm hopeful, you know, Nate Bjorkman said again in his, his, his press conference last night that um, guys need to stay ready because he's going to find opportunities for them, but just largely so far we haven't seen a whole ton of those opportunities. And yeah. Again, I mean, it's it's hard to berate a team that's six and three, and I didn't expect to be six and three at this point. No, um, but all in all, like I, I I totally agree with where you're coming from. We talked about it before, like you mentioned. Like I think you have to find 
you know, just extra minutes with how well Sumner played yesterday. It's not even about like necessarily being super skilled or anything, but just having guys who can be out there and be fresh and give you new looks and have energy. I think that's important. Uh, and I think the best coaches find ways to get the most out of their entire bench, not just from playing eight or nine guys. Yeah. And I, and I think that that's the key is that he's got to find minutes somewhere else from some of those guys. Um, like you said, Sumner came in and played pretty well and, and um, you know, got very small run, continues to get very small run. I, I think it's a, I don't know if it's a trust factor uh, or, or what it is, but I, I'm hoping that he's able to uh, find a little bit of more rhythm with those second unit guys so that they, you know, we're not, looking 25 games into the season and our guys are just exhausted and, and, and don't have anything left to give. Um, it's just kind of crazy to me. Um, my second yeah. question is, is that we were, I'm looking at the development of Sabonis. Um, mm -hmm. what, what are your what are thoughts on him as far as being one of those guys that's a perennial all-star, uh, a guy that's starting to get a little bit more notice in the league, uh, what are your thoughts on his play to start this season and the way he was ending the season last year until he got injured, but uh, his kind of development, what do you, what are some of your thoughts on, on what he, what he's bringing to the table uh, and how he's playing so far this season? Oh yeah. I mean, he's surpassed everything I thought it was going to be when he came to Indiana. I mean, uh, I remember I was really high on him when he came out of Gonzaga because he was really good there. Um, took them on a sweet 16 run. And that was before Gonzaga was like where they're at now being a perennial top five team. Um, and he was just totally misutilized when he first came into the league. So I, I was, I was a little bit higher on him, you know, just, and then being on the Pacers. Um, but in turning into an all-star, I, I didn't, I didn't see that coming. You know, he, I thought he was just going to be a really nice bench guy who transitioned into being an okay starter. Um, and he's proven me wrong. I mean, he's one of the probably three or four best, passing bigs in the league. I mean, he's right up there with Bam Adebayo and Nikola Jokic. Um, and I think there's a pretty steep divide after those three guys. Um, he's really improved as an individual score. I mean, his handle's gotten tighter this year, which is allowing him to, he's, he's driving to the rim now a little bit. He's um, as terrifying as it is to watch. Sometimes he brings the ball up court a lot. Um, and I mean, it, that's improved. <laughs> it's, it's actually been really good for him because that's uh, opening up a lot for him to run sets, you know, at the top of the key. Um, they'll come if, if he gets a mismatch early, he'll, he'll just attack downhill, uh, which is helping him get more free throws, you know, easy baskets is even better. He hasn't hit free throws well this year, um, which is surprising for him. He's normally a good free throw shooter, but, uh, yeah. and he's also expanded out to three. I mean, he's taking over to a game now and hitting well, uh, but it's on low volume, but the biggest thing is just guys have to respect him doing it. Um, so I think overall to say yeah. like with Domas, like, I, I don't know if I can say perennial all-star yet. Cause it's been, uh, Yesterday was the ninth game, and we we have this Western Conference road trip. A, I'm about to like not sleep at all because it's five games in seven days, and the uh, I was going to say yeah. <laughs> every tip off's like ten thirty, so it's gonna be a it's gonna be a long week. But yep. <laughs> it'll really. I think we'll have a much better idea of uh, what this team is like after this next week, because especially in, in talking about the minutes and everything, um, that cannot happen. Yeah. For, <laughs> For a, a five-game week, that's just, just no. impossible to play minutes like that. All right. Absolutely. Hey, Mark. Uh, this is Josh. And actually, I'm glad you brought up that that swing on that road trip because um, that was one of the questions I was going to ask you. With Ben talking about um, trying to develop some of these younger guys with minutes, um, do you think that um, – I, I thought I looked at the schedule. There's two back-to-backs in there. Yeah. And they have to travel through like three time zones in the, in the, in the span of those five days. Um, it's, that's kind of unusual to play five games in a week like that. So do you think that they'll use their bench a lot more during that road swing? Um, or do the trends that we see right now with the current sub patterns, is that what they'll, you think that they'll go with, um, you know, trying to rock that five game, seven day schedule out? Man, I'm I'm hopeful that they will use the bench, and I think they're going to have to because right now, um, Victor Oladipo has not played a back-to-back -back, um, since coming back from his injury, and you know the closest injury. So I wrote an article on this last year uh, when he was first coming back. You know, Kawhi Leonard and Tony Parker had the most similar injuries, and they've never played. They Tony Parker never played another back-to-back -back in his career, and Kawhi Leonard has yet to. Um, so I don't anticipate the Vic will uh, the. 
uh, training staff and, or I mean, the training staff doesn't speak, but the front office and uh, coaching staff hasn't mentioned anything about, well, I mean, and asked about it, they've, they've been pretty vague on whether or not that'll happen. So I anticipate that he's not going to play back-to-backs this year. Um, so that opens up even more for minutes, right? Um, I mean, I think the, the way I envision this team is uh, seeing the guys at the end of the bench just get a lot more run because you have, you know, 11, 12 guys who maybe they can't, they can't all create for themselves, of course, but I think there are ways that they could mix and match with the starting lineup um, and just getting more of those guys' minutes. Like Keelan Martin, the biggest thing is just, I mean, with TJ Warren out, there is no one who's actually a forward on the roster other than Keelan Martin. Like Doug McDermott is six foot seven, but he can't guard anybody uh, who plays the four just because he's not a strong guy. Uh, and Keelan Martin provides some of that. So he's someone who I look to maybe get some of those minutes. Like you look at Portland has Derek Jones Jr. is going to be a tough guard. Um, Robert Covington, somebody's going to have to guard him as well. Like I think they're going to have to play a little bit bigger on some of these games, especially against the Clippers too. I mean, Marcus Morris is back for the Clippers. Uh, so they're going to run three or four guys at a time who are six, seven taller. So it's, it's hard to contend with that when you have a lot of combo guards and bigs on the roster. Um, but ultimately I can't say for sure, but I think if, if we see the same kind of rotation play out for these next five games, I will be writing an article every day until it changes because that is just, it's, it's not a good, it's, it would not be ideal for that to be happening. Awesome. Um, and then my second question for you is, is, um, you know, I don't really feel like three out of the five teams in the division is a, is a threat to the Pacers. So there's really one team in the division that they're, that they're up against, which is the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, after 10 games, you know, Indy holds a slight lead in that division. So I know it's really early to tell right now, but um, do you think that they are playing well enough and the way that I've watched Milwaukee play up to this point that Indianapolis has a chance to compete with them or I'd say Indianapolis, Indiana has a chance to compete with them uh, to actually take the division from them? It's a good question. Um, I think a lot of it depends on, uh, you know, how health holds up for them this year. You know, I think if TJ Warren comes back before the playoffs, Jeremy Lamb, it was reported that he's I, uh, very soon going to be coming back. Nate Bjorkman talked about that today. Um, I don't know how soon that's going to be a week, two weeks. Uh, I know he was slated to come back mid January is what they initially said a couple months ago. So it looks like that's going to hold true. Um, that would be huge. Just giving another guy who can play basketball at a high level on the roster. Um, but that being said, I think even if they do surpass Milwaukee and wins, which I am not bullish on, um, <laughs> I think Milwaukee's really rounding into form and they're going to be better. Even if their win total isn't higher this year, I think they're going to be a better playoff team. Uh, just given Drew Holiday's an upgrade over Eric Bledsoe. Um, you know, the, I, I really liked some of the moves that Milwaukee did, uh, the ones that they weren't able to complete because of some shenanigans uh, were unfortunate because I, I just like seeing good basketball. Um, but when it comes down to it, I think in the regular season, I, I guess anything could happen. Um, but I'd still say Milwaukee is going to probably take the division pretty easily. Um, but this team has been, again, like I said, I mean, this team has been surprising. Um, but I still think a lot of it's uh, – it's not that they didn't earn the six wins, but they've been heavily juiced by playing their starters so much. So I'm just interested to see um, how it looks if they're playing less of their starters. Because this is an interesting stat that I pulled the other day. I mean, they have, like, just about the best third-quarter net rating in the league um, – at game seven, they were like a plus 35, which is fantastic. Like they were outscoring teams uh, by 35 points per 100 possessions, which is just monstrous. But then they would slip to the fourth quarter. They were scoring 14 and a half points per 100 possessions less than the other team. So that's like a 50 point net swing, which is like the worst in the NBA. And a lot of that is because <laughs> of the energy that you're seeing slip from guys. So I think, I, I, I think that'll balance out if they start to play the bench more. Um, but I think a lot of it's just, uh, how much does cohesion and everything factor into that? And, and is the bench able to mesh well with the starters and, and see how that plays out? But, I mean, I think this could be uh, in a regular year, if it was 82 games, it'd be definitely a 51 team. Hey, hey, Josh, before you guys move on, I want to know why you slighted Zach Levine and Kobe White in the Chicago Bulls in that question. Um, I don't know if you know, but we know we're doing something special out there in Chi Town. So how dare uh, you? I did see them lose today. <laughs> no, they've looked better. To be fair, they did. They do look better. Um, Zach Levine is a—he's so much better than I think people give him credit for, just because he's not like 
he has like, I mean, his flaws are massive, so it's hard to like kind of tiptoe around those. Um, but I'm just hopeful for Wendell Carter, man. Wendell Carter is my guy. I love Wendell Carter and he's finally looking like right. Uh, he just had like no confidence to start the year. And part of that's playing under like the worst coach in the NBA in the last five years and Jim Boylan, but um, no, Chicago is uh they're, I love Thad Young. That's about the only positive thing I have to say about Chicago right now. Patrick Williams <laughs> has been really good, though. I mean, he has been good. LeBron yeah. came out and talked about how good Patrick Williams was. Like that, he doesn't do that often, so that was cool. Um, I think they're getting on the right track, though. Yeah. There you go, them. Slip your Bulls question in. <laughs> the, the, that was it. I'm, I'm that was it. Was that all? <laughs> <laughs> um. We talk about injuries and all the other stuff going on in the league. Uh, we got to talk about, and I hate to talk about it, but we got to talk about the COVID uh, and, and some of the possibilities of shutdowns and, and things like that. Uh, what are your thoughts on, we started to see some teams, you know, uh, we saw Bradley Beal, Jalen Brown, uh, Kevin Durant, I think, I think came back tonight, actually. Yeah. Uh, what are some of your thoughts on, on how do you think we can kind of curtail this? Um, outside of going back to a bubble, because um, I don't think anybody wants to do that. Uh, although I think that's something possibly, I guess, for the playoff scenario again. What are some of your thoughts on that? And also, you're around that Pacers team a lot of the COVID issue. Yeah, um, man, it's tough, uh, especially seeing all this. I mean, we, we literally went from three days ago having, I think there were four positives in the NBA, so now we have a game got postponed today. A game should have gotten postponed yesterday. I mean, the uh, the seven Sixers instead of the 76ers. I mean, that's literally right. what it was yesterday. Like one of my friends tweeted, I was like, that's that's on point. Uh, I mean, like Danny Green is running an offense. Like what, what is going on here? Um, like, and it's so crazy too, because the Wizards have not been canceled and every single team who has had positive tests is off of playing the Wizards. Like, mm-hmm. There's some kind of connection here. I have no idea what it is, but it's it's staring me right in the face, and it might just be the Washington Wizards. Um, All right. I personally don't love the way the NBA is handling it, but I get it. You can't really just throw in guys to another bubble. I think if you tried to bring it up, most guys wouldn't be open to it, and I, I understand that. I mean, you, you had guys like Paul George last year coming out and talking about how difficult that was, and I think it's easy for us to be on the outside and say – um, oh, well, you're living your life in a cushy bubble. Well, no, not really. You know, mm-hmm. these guys are out there. It's the, I, it's something that I get frustrated with just because, yes, they're athletes and they're doing something that you probably enjoy doing when you were 15, but it's not just a game. Like, that's it's a whole livelihood that you put a lot of work into. And uh, a lot of stuff goes in behind the scenes that I think people don't recognize or, or, or understand or it, they don't they just discount. Um, so I think when you look at the fact that those the teams that were last until the title were there for three and a half months, living in a you know tiny ass apartment, some of them I remember Paul Millsap's room didn't even have a window. Um, so I, I'm tight with some of the Denver guys, and I remember talking to them about that. Like Paul Millsap stayed in there until the Western Conference Finals without a window in his room. Um, like I can't even imagine that. That's I'd go stir crazy. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's not something that's realistic. Maybe for the playoffs, like you mentioned. Um, but in terms of what's going on now, I mean, I, I have issues with them not postponing games personally. I mean, I think when you see teams like the 76ers going down to barely even a playable roster, the Celtics and heat today, um, I mean, they, they split the schedule in half so that you could have these postponements to try and account for all this. I mean, because I, I just saw a game get advertised before I got on, I was watching Brooklyn and, and OKC. And uh, a game got advertised. Oh, no, it was uh, Chicago. Chicago was supposed to play Boston tomorrow or the next day. And they were advertising that game. And I'm like, well, Jason Tatum's out for 10 to 14 days. Jalen Brown's probably out for 10 to 14 days. How is this going to be better by tomorrow? Like, I think you have to start doing postponements and um, just knowing, okay, we're going to catch up uh, a couple weeks from now when we have a chance. And then we'll come up with the second half of the schedule. But it's not ideal. But I think if if they're not going to use in the fail safe that they built in, that's just kind of vexing to me. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, and you brought up a good point about the bubble too. Like uh, guys' mental health. I mean, it, it, it's, it's so important to, to pay attention to that stuff on top of, you know, they've got families too. Everybody's like, Oh, well they got money and they got, fa-. well, that's great. I was like, but they also have kids, they have wives, yeah. they have, 
whatever, you know, and, and like you said, sitting in a room for 90 days with no window, I'm like, that's, that's, you know, you're dealing with the guy's mental health and, and other things like that. So I, yeah, I, I would agree with that. The bubble uh, would be difficult to do again, but I also think that they're, that they need to use that fail safe and, and start postponing some of these games. Uh, you know, they, they've got, that leeway there where they can do that. I, I would hope that they would start to look at that um, uh, as, as things go on and things progress. Um, my next question uh, is the other big issue that's going on is kind of the um, social justice issue of, of the NBA. And, and we saw some guys, you know, kneel and, and do some other things as far as uh, protesting, you know, things that went on in the Capitol. And I'm not a political guy, not in any stretch of the yeah. imagination. But um, just to get your thoughts on just, like, how that kind of fits in to the NBA and how the NBA handles those types of situations uh, as far as social injustice and some of the things that have gone on in the last week or so. Yeah, I'm, man, that's a great question. Um, it's stuff that I've really thought about a lot, um, especially since this summer. You know, this is the first time, and I'm 23, so this is the first time in my life that I've been, you know, of an age where I can understand what's going on and, and, and kind of be around it. And I think it's really frustrating because I, I almost hate even calling it social injustice because it just it, calling it a spade a spade. You know, it's racism. There's racism is rampant in this country, and it's a problem. Um, and I, I think in, in looking at how the NBA plays a part in it. You know, uh, seeing what Milwaukee did in uh, in the bubble and, and how that played out was was really cool, you know, just to see well, not cool in the fact that, you know, it was a very real thing that they had to deal with and, and, mm -hmm. and contemplate. But just to see these people were doing human things. And I, I think that was a, a really awesome thing to see and part of what makes the league great. Um, but I also struggle with, uh, I feel like a lot of the things that, that came in were half measures too. You know, like you look at, uh, they let players put stuff on the back of their jerseys, but then it had to be from like a select grouping of like, whatever, you know, like okay, you can only right. be like, yeah, exactly. Like you couldn't actually put what you wanted. It had to be something league approved already. Um, but overall, I mean, I think my thoughts on it are just, um, I mean, I'm fortunate enough. I came from a place of privilege, you know, I, I didn't really grow up hard or anything. Um, but I kind of became privy to that. I, I, I got into boxing. I don't remember if I told you about this thing, but I was, I was working on a pro boxing career, uh, earlier in my life. So I was, I mean, I, I was worked out on the West side of Lansing, which was not like, you know, it, very different from where I grew up. Um, and I got to really know and understand people and, and see why things are different than, than how I thought they were growing up. Um, and so to see the stuff that happened in the Capitol this week was shameful. Uh, it was disappointing. And to think that, uh, when you, when you pair that compared to how things went with, uh, the black lives matter protests, um, it's frustrating. It's very frustrating. Um, and it just makes me want to see things be different. And I'm definitely going to do whatever I can to make things different. Um, but yeah, man, I, I, I don't know. It's, uh, it's just so difficult because I, I don't even know how to talk to people about it sometimes, because if, if there's somebody on the opposite yeah. end, you know, somebody who's supporting people going into the Capitol and uh, rioting, I mean, I, that, it was not a protest. Like, let's just, that, that's, it's not a protest. You're storming the fucking Capitol building. I'm sorry to swear on your pod. Um, just gets me a little bit heated, but um, I just look at that. I'm like, I don't know how to talk to people who are like on that side. Like that's, it's not even uh, political. It's just uh, recognizing that there are some very messed up things going on in the country, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Man, good question, Ben. Um, I have a, a random question. This is kind of a joke that we that we talk about on um, on a on a text thread that we have, and um, I'm, I'm not excited. I'm not sure if you if you have any insight that we don't. But um, every time a team tends to falter or they um, they tend to start struggling, we like to throw James Harden at them um, as far as the trade. Oh no! So um, have you? <laughs> Have you heard anything or know anything that we don't know about potential landing spots for James Harden, or is he maybe stuck in Houston for the remainder of the year? Oh man, uh, I'll be honest. I I don't have any inside knowledge on James. Um, I do. I, I mean, dude, I wish. Um, but I will say he's looked remarkably checked out in Houston the last week. Um, he just hasn't been very. Um, 
he hasn't been nearly as assertive as he usually is. And it could just be a lull, but overall, I mean, it does not look great. Um, you know, you look at, I don't know if you saw this kind of blew up, I think it was two days ago. Um, somebody forgot they had a hot mic. Uh, I think it was Calvin Murphy um, on the Houston broadcast. And he talked about, you know, James passing out and it was going to commercial. His mic was still on. And he's like, he's gone. Like he just said that. I was like, oh my God, like on, <laughs> on a hot mic. And uh, yeah, so I personally, before the year started, I thought James was going to be in Houston for at least the remainder of the year. But now, I mean, I think that he'll be gone by the trade deadline. And that's not based on any knowledge I have or anything, but I uh, just given how things are going, unless Houston just has like some remarkable run, um, I'd be surprised if he's in Houston. He looks very checked out in this Laker game right now, for sure. <laughs> that's hilarious. I was going to say, and DeMarcus Cousins, and the Cousins <laughs> has already been thrown out of the game. So. <laughs> that's how we know that. That's how we know Cousins back. He got thrown out of the game tonight. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. He's oh, already wow. the second. He's already gone. Oh that's my god. That's the second man. time he's been tossed. Damn. Um, that's like a slow season for him, though. Remember, dude, in Sacramento, he was nuts with how often he get tossed. But I mean, I get it. Like he was on like the worst team in the NBA for five straight years. So I'd probably just get tossed every once in a while too. Yeah. Just for giggles. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> um, my second question is I was going to go back to the Pacers for a second. Um, I'm just going off of like, we have a lot of fun sending some text messages back and forth. What's what is up with, uh, with miles Turner's block party so far this season? Yes. Um, he right now, I, I just filled out an early ballot. Um, for an article uh, one of my friends asked me to do the other day on, you know, where I think guys are at right now. I think in terms of looking at defensive player of the year, it's Joel Embiid and Miles Turner tied for me right now. Uh, Miles has been awesome. Part of it is the defensive uh, scheme has changed. It's a lot more aggressive. Um, mm -hmm. So they're pressuring the hell out of the ball right now and it's sending everything to the rim. So right now the Pacers are letting up, I think the most shots at the rim in the NBA, but they're not um, falling at a, at a, at a very good rate. And a lot of that is due to miles and shot alteration and, and blocking everything, man. He's had multi, I think two games of eight plus blocks this, plus, this season yeah. and he's averaging over four right now. I mean, you combine, he's averaging almost six steals and blocks together, which is just ridiculous. Um, and sometimes we'll see guys like Hassan Whiteside um, who gets blocks, but he's not really as much of a defensive impact as you'd think. Um, but Miles has been the real deal defensively. I think the Pacers would probably be below league average in defense if they didn't have Miles at the back line right now. Um, yeah. So, I, I, yeah, a lot of it's just he's so good at timing. Uh, he's well, he's not like the most athletic guy in terms of his vertical athleticism. He's ridiculous, incredibly long. Um, I think a lot of it's a testament to how hard he's worked too. He, he's if if anything ever goes wrong in Indiana, he is the first person who gets blamed. Um, and he's like how, you know, Chris Bosch was in Miami. That's Miles Turner, Indiana. Just any time that there's a loss, even if he has a good game, he gets blamed for it. Um, and it's definitely unfair. I think it's difficult because he's not like the traditional big man. You know, he, uh, I mean, he, he is a big, he's almost seven feet tall, but he's not a good rebounder. Um, he struggles defending the post because he's just not a very strong guy, at least not in his lower body. Um, but what he does in, in terms of, defense in the modern game is tremendous. I mean, we saw against Houston, he's switched out on James Harden a couple times. Um, and he, he routinely can switch out on wings. Uh, he, he guards really well in space. One of the best pick and roll defenders in the NBA. Um, I can't sing his praises enough. And he's an awesome dude. I've, I've only talked to him a few times, but I always, uh, he, he's a really nice guy. Um, the biggest thing for me with him though, is offensively, there's been a huge shift. Uh, he used to be one of the worst decision makers in the NBA. Uh, on the offensive end of the floor and things have really just clicked for him this year. And while his numbers aren't really up or anything, he's taking threes without hesitating. He's passing a little bit better. Um, he's just making quicker reads on the floor. And that is like one of the hardest things to develop in the NBA. So for that, it's, it's been really cool. And I think he's opened up a lot in the offense too. Yeah. Yeah. He's taking leaps and bounds as far as his decision-making offensively. So that's been good to see. Um, Victor Oladipo, there were some rumblings in the offseason. Um, possibly he wanted to be traded. Then he comes out and says, I'm a pacer. I want to be here. I love this team. Um, he's looked remarkable this year. He finally looks kind of like healthy. Uh, he had that monster dunk. Uh, I think it was either last night or two nights ago where he went down the yeah, middle line. And just, I mean, just punched it. I mean, he looked looked like the old VO. Um, 
are there still trade rumor talks around him or, or is he, is he locked in? Um, as far as I know, he is locked in. Um, I think what kind of got lost in the sauce a little bit with that was, which that was all credible reporting. J. Michael, the Indy star is like probably the best insider on the team. Um, and he was the one who broke that report. I remember talking to him about that. Um, and he had even more sources that, uh, that he could have thrown into the story. Um, you know, it's, uh, I think part of it is that came out, you know, two months after it happened is when that story broke. Um, so it kind of got oddly mixed with, you know, the, the way that the off season was going. Um, a lot of the issues with, with Vic uh, and the team from what I understood um, and the way it was positive was, was with Nate McMillan. Um, Cause he's just not, Nate McMillan was a very hands-off guy in the locker room. Uh, and with the team. And, and I still think he, he got kind of an unfair shake in the way that he left Indiana or was forced out of Indiana, I should say. Um, but just given how uh, disconnected he was with the players on a personal level, um, that was a huge factor. But I think my, my point with Vic, though, um, I think given how the year is going right now um, and all the changes that were made, he and Nate Bjorken seem to have a really good relationship so far. And, and Vic was initially reached out right away to Nate, which was huge. Um, I think as far as that, those have died down for right now. Um, at least mm -hmm. from anything that I'm hearing on the inside, I haven't, I haven't heard anything on that. Um, and, and Vic has been really positive in, in press conferences. He hasn't, he's definitely been a lot more positive than he was over the summer. Um, when I was in on some of the media availability. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I was a little nervous about that. I'm not gonna lie to you. <laughs> no, it's fair. I mean, I think it's totally, I mean, I was like, gosh, dang. Well, it's tough too, because so, I look at it from looking at it from his perspective. I think, you know, he didn't handle things great. I'll be honest. Um, yeah. I think it was weird. Cause I remember I was on the media call with Nate McMillan before the bubble. Um, it was the day after Vic had announced through the athletic and Sham Sharanya that he was not going to play in the bubble. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm on the media call the next day with Nate McMillan. And the first question Nate gets asked is um, how did you guys find out about um about Vic not playing had you guys talked to him about that prior to his statement and Nate just flat out said I found out the exact same way you guys did and I was like oh, oh man, oh, man. So that was when oh. I first realized oh wow there's some some something boiling a little bit of disconnect um, yes exactly. <laughs> um, but that is for the most part though that has not really been apparent um, with the new coaching staff and uh, all the changes that have been made but I just my point with Vic like it's interesting like I think he got a lot of heat this summer um, and headed into this season, which some of it was deserved. I think a lot of it's on his agent. Um, he's a, by far the highest profile client for his agent. Um, so I think that's, I don't want to say it's a red flag, but I just think if he had a good agent or not to say that he's a bad agent, but if he had a, a more seasoned agent or a different agent, I think things with the PR would have been handled a lot better, like way better. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that was a big part of it. Um, but it's tough too. I mean, he was, I look at, you know, it's 17, 18 people forget he was averaging 24 points per game he was second team all nba um first team all defense led the team to mm -hmm. the, the only team that's ever taken a lebron james team to seven games in the first round um was at the you know the pinnacle of his career after having a pretty disappointing start to his career mm -hmm. um and then he has his injury halfway through the next year trying to build off of that and uh so that's tough i mean you know you look at the, the, the reported offer from the Pacers to Victor while he was injured was four for 84, which was, you know, the equivalent of what his deal was um, when he came to Indiana. Yeah. Um, so what, when you look at it analytically and as a person who watches the sport and uh, you're like, okay, well, that makes sense. I wouldn't pay him more than that because he hasn't played like that. He's been injured and he's an injury risk. But then you right. look at it from Vic's perspective and you're like, this guy was a year and a half away from being a max contract level mm -hmm. player I mean he was playing as a max level player but he was going to get paid the max um this coming you know off season or that's what the trajectory was then um and so I think mentally that's got to be so hard to uh to come at things from you know being at that level and then coming back and not being at that level and and still trying to figure that out and and come to terms with the fact that you're a different player um and luckily like you mentioned earlier I mean he's really recruited some of his value and he's coming back around as an athlete um, but yeah, I think that was something that got lost a little bit in, in looking at yeah. Vic this summer. Like that's, uh, that's a tough, tough thing to deal with. I can't even imagine dealing with it. I mean, there's a big difference no. between $80 million and, you know, 180, you know, I think, mm -hmm. and it's funny too, because I think in, in, 
like trying to gauge guys' perspectives and understand that. I think it's a lot more about respect than it is about actually getting the money. Like money's nice, but at some point it doesn't even matter. It's more like I know, all right, you know, five years ago, Chandler Parsons is getting paid this much money. And Chandler Parsons played like a hundred games. Right. <laughs> I know that I'm better than Chandler Parsons. Why am I not getting paid more than him? You know, and it, I, I think that's something that definitely fuels in the contracts a lot more than we realize. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. Ego probably has a lot to play with that. Um, when guys see other guys getting paid that, that couldn't hold, couldn't lace his shoes. So uh, that, that had to be difficult. Um, yeah. So uh, to switch gears a little bit, um, I got a question for you. I'll give me your top five power ranking as far as you see oh, teams. In the yeah, in the NBA. Okay. So uh, give me your top five teams as far as who you think uh, playing well, uh, a team that is uh, their trajectory is going up, um, you know, a team that you feel like could push for that NBA championship. I know it's early with most teams are eight to 10 games in, um, but uh, what are you, what are your top five teams you think right now? Yeah. So my top five teams right now, um, I think I would have at one and two, probably the Lakers and Clippers um, Mm -hmm. just because I think the Clippers offensively, I think if you, all right, so subtract the, uh, the game against Dallas where they were down 50 at halftime. Um, Cause that was, that was rough. But I think you look at what they can do offensively and defensively when they are clicking is ridiculous. I mean, Serge Ibaka has made them so much better as an offensive group, uh, the way that he's able to stretch the floor. He's not like, I think he's a, he's a better offensive player than a defensive player at this point in his career. He can still do some things on defense that are okay. Like he's a good rim protector, but he's not awesome in space. And, um, but in terms like just offensively, I mean, Paul George has come out and he's been incredible. Um, He's honestly been better than Kawhi Leonard to start the year, um, having like the best start to his career that I can remember, uh, other than the, his one year in OKC where he was uh, in the MVP uh, rankings. Um, but I think you just look at Kawhi and Paul George and what they can do. I think they have probably a move to make, in my opinion, because I think their bench has talent, but it's just a funky fit. Like Lou Williams and Luke Kennard are untenable as a defensive backcourt. Um but they both provide a like nice offense. Like, I, I just think that they have a, some kind of move to make because they still need a, more of a primary ball handler, in my opinion. Uh, even if they don't make it, I still think they're in my top five. Um, yeah. The Lakers, I mean, you have to put them there. They have the best record in the league right now. They're about to expand on that tonight. Um, and LeBron James and Anthony Davis, I feel like you don't even have to say any more on that. Um, and I, I actually like their surrounding pieces even better this year than I did last year. I think their team is just more complete. Um, barring injuries, I think they're still the best team in the league by a decent notch. Um, I think I would have Milwaukee up there, um, probably around three. I know that they've come out the gates a little bit slow, but uh, since starting the year poorly, they've I think they're four and one over the last five games. Drew Holiday's just a really good fit there. I really love that they made the trade. I know that people clown the uh, amount of picks that they sent, and I, I get it. Um, but when it, it led to them re-signing Giannis, um, I think it's worth it. Um, you know, I think when you're a contending team, you have to go in and give up on all that in order to be a contending team and not just be a middling contending team, like actually trying to make changes. We've seen Eric Bledsoe really struggle in the playoffs for two straight years, longer than that, but two straight years at a contending level. Um, so I think it was time to move on. That makes sense. I, I like where Milwaukee's at. Um, I think I, part of me wants to say Philly, but I also have seen Philly the last couple of years. Um, but I, I think Philly, I think Joel Embiid has looked incredibly engaged and locked in to start the year, which is huge. Ben Simmons is great. I don't care that he doesn't shoot threes. I wish he would shoot threes, but I think we get so caught up in what players don't do. We forget to talk about the great things that they do do. And he's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the best defenders in the league. I still think he leaves a lot on the table offensively, but their pieces just make more sense offensively this year. Like Seth Curry has been great. Tobias Harris has looked way better and is more natural fit at, at the four. Um, so I like Philly. Uh, I still think they're another team, like like we mentioned with James Harden. Um, I think if James Harden is going to get moved, that's definitely a potential landing spot. That would be if, – if I'm Philadelphia, as much as I like young players with upside who are already good, like a guy like Ben Simmons, if you can get a top five player in basketball, you make the trade regardless um, because I don't think Ben Simmons is ever going to be that kind of player. 
And more importantly, I don't think he that he's not close to that right now. Um, and with just considering that Joel Embiid's health is always going to be a question, I think you go in like ASAP and be like, all right, well, we're already trying to win a title, so we may as well go for it. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm expanding on these even more than, than just like saying power rankings. But Oh, no, no. I think, I, I, you're all good, man. I think the last team that I would add, because right now I'm not super impressed with Brooklyn. Um, I was a little bit coming out the gates, but they've uh, kind of slumped. Um, Phoenix has been really impressive. I thought Phoenix coming in was going to be like a five or six seed. Like I, I really liked the addition of Chris Paul, obviously. I mean, he's fantastic. Um, I liked adding Jay Crowder. Um, I really just, I, I thought they made sense and I thought they were going to be a, a playoff contender, but the way that they have played now, uh, they're a title contender in my opinion. They still haven't even figured things out offensively. Like their defense has been really good. I think they're, yeah, they're currently, currently ninth in defense and they're fourth in offense, but DeAndre Ayton really hasn't figured his role out on the team yet. He's averaging like a career low in points. Um, Mikhail Bridges has been awesome, but their net rating as a starting unit is like they're, I think they're a negative five net rating with the starting unit, which sounds like a negative, which because right now it is, they're still a little bit clunky there. But um, once they figure that out and, and they really mesh as a starting unit, I mean, their bench units and lineups have been fantastic. So I think Phoenix has. It, it, again, barring injury, I think they're right up there. So that would probably be my five, um, Philly, Milwaukee, Phoenix, and both the L.A. teams. Nice. nice. I like that. <laughs> um, so so to piggyback on Ben's question, um, I know the, the last few years, you know, we've, saw, we've seen some, some, some big-time players come in and dominate kind of early. You know, last year we had Ja Morant and Zion when he was able to play, and Luca has been amazing. Um, you know, you had Ben Simmons and Brogdon come in who all won rookie of the year, but is there someone that sticks out to you in the past, let's say, uh, we'll say three or four years. That's a young guy that probably fully hasn't developed yet. That you think can ascend to a top tier talent? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, sad. I mean, if you'd asked me before the bubble, I would have said Jonathan Isaac, not that he would have been a top five guy, but uh, I think if Jonathan Isaac found some of his way offensively, he's already a top five defender in basketball when he's healthy. Um, so that was a huge loss for Orlando. And I think he's going to miss the entire year, if I remember correctly. Um, man, hold on. I have to pull up a list because I was not even – this was this is a really great question. I mean, I think Bam, <laughs> Bam is getting close to that. Um, I personally, like they uh, – there were all those mentions about would – Miami include Bam Adebayo for James Harden. And that is a player who I would not include for James Harden. Um, I think that he's on track to be a top 10 player in the league um, because the shot is starting to come along, just more mid-range stuff. But I think he'll eventually expand to three. He's one of the best defenders in the NBA, and he's just so damn good at what he does. Um, Man, in terms of rookies this year, I really lamello has been impressive. I thought he was going to be good eventually, not this good right away. Um, man, who else? I mean, Trey Young keeps ascending. Uh, Atlanta has actually been a little bit disappointing to start the year, though. Um, yeah, man, this was, I was, I didn't even, this is, it's so hard to even think about this one. <laughs> uh, I mean, Jason Tatum is just about there. He's probably in the MVP rankings already. The series has been really good. Um, I mean, Sacramento, Deer and Fox has been nice. Uh, I think he's a lot better than people give him credit for. I, I remember, I, I don't, there was like something, it was uh, like a rank these four players, one of those uh, random NBA Twitter things. And it was like De'Aaron Fox, John Morant, and um, a couple other point guards. Um, and I mean, that's, John Morant's really good. De'Aaron Fox is way better than John Morant at this stage already. Um, and I think that it gets lost because he plays in Sacramento right now. Um, and I think, I don't think he's going to be a top 10 guy, but just in terms of being a, a guy who's a perennial all-star, um, I think that's going to be Darian Fox soon. And I, in Cleveland, I, I do have to be honest. I, uh, part of this is because I grew up in Cleveland. So I, I watched the Cavs a lot and I, I like them. Colin Sexton is really good. Um, he's very similarly to Zach Levine, like we were talking about earlier, he does have holes in his game. He's really not a true point guard, but in terms of a guy who can score the ball and score it well and efficiently, I mean, Colin Sexton is incredible. Uh, he had a really good game yesterday. He's just been playing well overall. Love that dude as a player. Um, and 
Man, uh, Jaron Jackson. Okay, that's 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 the last guy I'll lead off with. As much <laughs> as I like John Morant, I think Jaron Jackson has a chance to be a top 10 player. I think Ja can get there too. But uh, Jaron, I went to Michigan State for my first couple of years and Jaron was there while I was. Um, and I, in watching him, I really thought he was going to be a def- defense first guy coming into the league. And if the offense figured itself out, awesome. Um, so far, he's struggled defensively and been insanely good on offense. Like just miles ahead of what I thought he could be offensively. Um, and he's been just tremendous there, but he still has a lot of work to do in terms of becoming a consistent defender. But I think if he puts it together, you know, two or three years from now, he's going to be an all NBA level defender. Um, and if he keeps improving his offensive game the way he has, and he can stay healthy, then I think that's a, you know, top 15 player personally. So Mark, I get, I get the last question today. Apparently they, they like me enough. And, okay. uh, I'm going to go a little different here. So, you know, when we were on the show, when you were on the show with Sean and I, we discussed uh, your vinyl collection you have in the back, which is mighty impressive, I might add. Yeah. And I noticed right over your shoulder at the top of the thing, you have Commons B. Would I be correct right there? Ooh, that is correct. So I got to ask first, what's the best out? What's the best song on Commons B to you? Because it's, you know, one of the greatest hip hop albums of all. Oh, yes. real people easily. Okay. Real people is so good, man. That's my favorite. One of my favorite songs of all time. One of the best samples ever. Commons is just a dope lyricist. I love his lyrics. Songs all of meaning. Um, but actually, I think my favorite common verse is probably on. Uh, I don't yeah. know. Or do you like Black Star? I mean, obviously, it was only one album, but yeah, he was on Respiration. Respiration is like my favorite, one of my f- most played songs of all time. And his verse on Respiration is amazing. Um, so I, to people who have not heard that song, definitely look it up. Most Def, too. Like, I wish Most Def yes. put out more music. <laughs> I wish that Black Star yeah, had you, a second yeah, album. right now, boy. I would most pay Def, yeah. money. I would pay money for a Black Star <laughs> album right now. Like, the fact the that they only made one is like, ah, oh, it hurts me, That's man. Like, terrible. So, so, so good. Um, yeah, dude, I, I was gonna say that was my next question is what are you spinning right now so my <laughs> yeah my fiance what am i listening to right now um miller because he's my favorite so we've been listening to that quite a bit lately I, it's funny it's it's uh it's kind of sad but i i've liked mac miller more a lot of people have. He died um i didn't really appreciate him or like him a whole ton um when i was growing up um but like red dot music yeah. was actually really good I mean, not Red, Red Dot Music's a song. Um, watching watching movies, I think, is the is the album. Yeah. The, like Red Album, where he's on a sing at a table. Is. That's a really good album. I mean, going back retrospectively and listening, it's great. Um, lately, hold on, let me pull up my recently played songs because I know I've been listening to a lot. I mean, I have like ten thousand songs on Spotify, so I'm always listening to stuff. Um, I mean, I've been listening to a lot of Doom lately. Uh, the Finest is like my favorite Doom song. Love that song. Um, a little bit of Danny Brown recently, which I never really used to like Danny Brown that much, but I've gotten more into him. It was hard to listen to the voice at first, but once you actually get past that, that's how um, I feel about Roddy really Rich. And now, like, I listen to um, Roddy like every other day. Oh, I, I don't lie. like Roddy Rich. I don't listen to. I, I'm not a big fan of uh, like if it, if it plays on the radio, <laughs> I'm not normally a big fan of it. Um, which sounds kind of it sounds really pretentious, but I don't know, man. That's just where I'm well, at. I don't like, listen I, to the radio, so um, that's I, I yeah, went to I don't too many to house radio, parties. So like everything's like new to me. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's played all the time. I'm like, oh, it is. All right. Yeah, but I think the song that I've probably listened to the most this last month is uh, what I think was uh, Tupac's best collab song ever. It's a mind made up. It's him with Daz Dillinger. Oh yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. And two. Uh, <laughs> oh, you uh, in Method, it now. Method Man and Red Man. Yeah. That is like. I think that is the best Tupac collab song easily. So I've been listening to that a ton lately. Uh, love yeah. it. Yeah. My man Mark after my own heart, boy. A little hip hop. Oh, dude, he's so great. <laughs> yes, I, I sir. Love, love, love <laughs> All right, Tim Bookie, we're gonna have a we're gonna have a hip hop. Say less. Say less. At I'm some in. point, yeah, I mean. Hey, I'm always, I'm, I'm always open to that. So, oh, no doubt. Well, Mark, man, we appreciate your time this evening, man. Um, I'm gonna give you these last few minutes, man. Plug all your socials, uh, any articles, anything you've got coming out, man. Please, this is, uh, this is you. Uh, plug your stuff right now. Let us let the people know what's going on. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you guys for having me on. I appreciate it, uh, Josh and Ben and Tim. This was great. Uh, I'm always down to come back. Um. Yeah, so I'm at M Schindler NBA uh, on Twitter. Um, you can find my work. I run a, a, a blog and a couple podcasts. We actually just expanded into a network. Um, 
called Premium Hoops. You can find us at premiumhoops.org. Um, we write there, obviously do a bunch of really cool stuff. I just released an article today on uh, Jeremy Grant's growth and um, what makes it kind of statistically an anomaly. Like, so just to put it in perspective really quick, uh, in two years at Syracuse, he led the Orange in scoring twice and he's led the Pistons in scoring nine times already to start the year, um, which is kind of ridiculous when you think about it. Like that's just unprecedented growth. Um, so I wrote about that. It's, been, I, I, it's really cool seeing his growth. Um, and then in terms of other stuff, yeah, I also write at Indy Cornrows. I should have an article coming out on Miles Turner pretty soon. That I've been working on for a few days, pulling clips for it. Um, and you can find me on the Indy Cornrows pod as well. I'm putting out stuff pretty much every day there. So, uh, but yeah, overall, thanks a ton for having me on, guys. This was great. Well, man, we appreciate it. Of course, we will uh, always uh, have you back, man. We, we enjoy uh, the conversation. And uh, you can check us out uh, on 48 Minutes Network uh, on our socials. Uh, that's 48 Minutes NTWRK. That's how we do it on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we also will be releasing uh, 48 Minutes Pod. Are we still on Wednesday? Producer we 10. are, and then uh, well, Scott could put a thing real quick in here. So Friday for At Large Bid, we're going to be having Tim Kruger from Stadium on. He is their bracketologist, so we're going to be talking about an early, early bracketology. So you know we're getting we're only weirdly enough we're seven weeks away from March Madness already, so not too far. Are you man. serious, man? Crazy. Wow, that's crazy. That's insane to me. I know I so have like. Crazy. I think I have 20 games saved on my DVR that I have to catch up on still to get on, get back on draft work. But, <laughs> dude, yeah, it's uh, it's tough to keep up with, but it, a lot of basketball. Man, so nuts. So yeah, so if you guys get a chance, we'll, Wednesday we'll have the 48 minutes network job with uh, producer Tim and Sean. On Friday is the Atlas bid. Go check that out. Um, we're on all your podcast uh, media's Apple, Stitcher, Google Play. Uh, if you get on Apple, we always tell you, five-star review. We love them. We appreciate them. Um, and we'll make sure that you uh, give us some love on that. Uh, we appreciate you guys listening and watching if you're watching on Facebook. Um, thank you, Mark, once again. And you guys have a wonderful, wonderful Sunday evening.